Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abuid, and Abuid the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello friends, it is still Christmas and I hope that you are enjoying yourself out there. For those of us who could be going through pain and grief, please know that we are praying with you. My name is William Mawell and I am a pastor intern at Knox. I am excited today to share about Messiah's family line and why it matters. I know Christmas is about family in many parts of the world where it is celebrated. And that's not different from where I come from. I still remember very well when I was growing up, it was over Christmas when we would come together and it still happens today. And as a family, we come together for, with food and fun. And also we have the stories being told, stories about our family. And it was during Christmas when my father taught us about our genealogy. And it all went back five generations back. And I still remember that even today, all descending from one particular ancestress by the name Mbula. And every time, even today, when my clan, when my people come together, they have a common greeting. And this is how it goes. Ava Mbula. And Ava Mbula translates to high descendants of Mbula. And I'm proud. Just when I, every time I'm with this community, 
just to enjoy myself and to use that greeting. It is too bad. COVID-19 is denying us this physical coming together of families. Well, I love stories about ancestry and genealogy, but just like probably some of you, uh, I don't enjoy reading the list of names in the Bible about genealogies, the Embryo genealogies, in Genesis, Chronicles. And right now, it is Matthew and Luke in the New Testament, and particularly today, we are dealing with Matthew chapter 1. Let me just share a little bit about the Embryo culture in relation to genealogy. The Embryo held dearly their family pedigree, not only for purposes of their identity, but for pre the preservation of their history. In view of special lineage that Jehovah had chosen, through whom the promised Messiah would come, the Hebrew were prohibited from contracting marriages with people from other tribes. This is very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, and even in Ezra chapter 10, verse 2. And in that particular passage in Ezra, we see the Israelites when they came back from a captivity under Ezra. There is this public a cleansing ceremony that takes place. And part of it, under the leadership of Ezra, it involved having the Israelites drive away the women from other tribes that they had obtained from exile. In the ideal sense, therefore, we would expect the genealogy in the Messiah's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 to be a pure breed. But that is not the case. In ancient Israel, the Jewish culture was one of the most uh, male-dominant cults in the world. The mission, which is a Jewish court of law, it talked about women being in the same class as slaves and Gentiles. And actually, with the Orthodox Jews in their morning prayer, especially the male uh, Orthodox Jews, their morning prayer, they would pray, God, I thank you that I am not a woman, nor a Gentile no less slave. Women were not, never mentioned in genealogies. Under the Old Testament law, the office of the priest and the Levites were hereditary. And the same applied to the kingly office. Prophetically, these were critical offices for the promised Messiah. This position could be obtained in no other way than the inheritance. And it was extremely important, therefore, that the purity line be maintained. According, uh, accordingly, great care was taken in tracing genealogy. And if a priest could not prove legitimacy through genealogical descent, then he was supposed to lose his position. And not just him, but even his descendants up to the 10th generation. And he could not just lose his rights of being a priest, but also the allowances or the revenues that come with that particular position. Matthew, whose primary audience is the Jewish people, it seems to appeal to their culture, to their mind. Genealogy is the language of identity and the language of history. He probably could not avoid a genealogical background in his writing thesis, Jesus, the King of the Jews. His genealogy helps to answer the question, where does the Messiah come from? Who is this guy? 
ideally, I hear Matthew telling us, you cannot understand the arrival of the Messiah without understanding the big picture. And genealogy is part of this big picture. So why does this big, big picture matter? Why does genealogy matter? It matters. It matters and why? And that's the question we are asking ourselves. Number one, I would say the genealogy matters because it lays a powerful argument on the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. And if you want, promise. Our God is a God of promises. And not just a God of promises, but a God who fulfills. It all comes from Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is the seed of the woman will strike the air of the snake. Theologians would call this the Protevangelium. And this is a promise of a seed of a woman at some point. Then through theocratic rule, when God was seen as the God who takes care of his people and people would you know, look at him as the source of everything. And of course, he's still his. But there were times that people would not behave like God is the source of everything in the history of Israel. In theocratic rule, with the patriarchs, the likes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even in going, back, going all the way to Genesis chapter 12, all the people of the world will be blessed. This is still the same, the same promise, the same prophecy taking place. It stretches to the Anakio period, the period of the judges, with the likes of Mr. Boaz and Ruth and Obed, then the monarchical period, the times of the kings, where we have David and we have uh, Solomon, his son, all the way to Jeroboam. And again, all the way to the, uh, the times of other kings like Manasseh, who is still mentioned in this genealogy. Manasseh and his contemporaries, the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, some of whom were bad and others were good. Then it goes all the way to the pre-exilic period, just before the Israelites went to captivity, the 70 years into captivity, and right into the captivity itself, the exilic period. This is so profound. You see this in Psalms 37. When the Israelites are crying out in captivity, it's, it seems like the promise is disappearing because these guys are in pain, they are suffering there. And they say, we remember Zion when they told us to sing a song, and we hanged our instruments. They were just right by the rivers of Jordan. And how can we sing a song in a foreign land? It seemed like the promise is disappearing. It doesn't seem to happen. I mean, where, where will this Messiah come from? Really? With people in pain and suffering? It doesn't seem to make sense. But it stretches all 2,000 years including the 400 years of the intertestamental period, the years of silence. It's amazing that Matthew and Luke, they are capturing this genealogy. And Matthew, I hear him telling us, here is a God who is a promise keeper. Matthew is saying, here is a faithful God who keeps his promises. He preserves his word through generations, his purposes, can never be thwarted. They have to be accomplished. He is the one who can, never, who can be trusted. He's the only one who can be trusted. He's not a man that he should lie. Neither is he a son of man that he should change his mind. 
He is the one who makes things beautiful at his time. Come on. The inauguration has come. The inauguration of the kingdom. He promised it. It is here with us. And time is not an hindrance. Not even the processes or the people that he uses to accomplish this. None of that matters. But it matters that he brings his promise, his prophecy into accomplishment. We can trust him. On his kingdom matters now. And on his kingdom matters not yet. He can be trusted. When he says, I am your God. When he says, I am the Lord who healeth you. When he says there is a soon coming judgment, he means it. And that is him. And he can be trusted in all that. The genealogy is not just about a promise which comes true. But it's also about a kingdom that comes through, hum through culture. A humble kingdom that comes through human culture. Genealogy is, genealogy is cultural. It's about family. It's about blood. It's about biology. It's about children being born. Genealogy is about uh, family. It's about people. It's about the Jewish language and even non-Jewish language. It captures the Jewish culture and also the non-Jewish culture. Genealogy is about men and women. It's about politics. It's about kingdom, thrones. It's about economics. It's about human religion. It's about career like carpentry and others. It is about sickness and calamities like COVID-19. All these names represent the behind-the-scenes issues of life, culture, and characters of Christmas. In other words, the divine is in the details of life. Here is a Messiah who is coming, who is involved in the details of life. Sometimes we think about things like human sexuality and other things that we think culturally are not things that we can openly talk about. But the Bible is so clear. The Bible is so real in, in, in issues to do with just the details of life. And that's what Messiah is about. Mother is a kingdom guy. He's not only looking to introduce a kingdom paradigm, but he's about to announce the king himself. Here is a kingdom bigger than the Jewish people. It is about it is not about special people, but it's a kingdom about all people. It is not detached from culture, but it is inclusive of culture. It captures, it is part of culture. Yes, it is not just about the Jewish people and their thinking in Genesis chapter 11 when they build a tower all the way to heaven. They have this sundry, uh, petal kind of a thinking, which is homogeneous way of thinking. But here is a Messiah who is just changing our ways of thinking. He is bringing the idea of heterogeneous thinking, an idea of a centrifugal way of thinking, of outreach, of reaching out to everyone. The divine is in the detail. In the history of the church, we have been presented with a Messiah who is not concerned with saving the human soul. Uh, who is concerned with saving the human soul, but has nothing to do with the body. Who is detached from context, and who is detached from history and the stories of the people. But this is not the Messiah. Matthew is saying, no, this is not the guy. I'm presenting you a guy who is involved in details, like just, just, just you know, going on, I mean, on lives of people being in every aspect of, of people. 
Matthew is producing a guy who is humble and smart. He fits in every detail. He rides on borrowed donkeys. He lives with the people. He doesn't live in palace. The genealogy of the Messiah matters, for it is an administration of a divine kingdom that is involved in the mess of life. It is involved in the mess of life. Both good and bad, people and bad, cultures, they all need a savior. I look at the genealogy, it is past the word mess. Everything doesn't seem okay with the genealogy. It seems terrible. Yeah, there are good things, there are good people, there are good stories about the people there. But look at the mess. It's, it's amazing and I think it is very intentional that Matthew brings up some of this part, some of this mess. Very, very clear. The mention of the five women. Here is Miss Tamar, Genesis 38. This woman happens to be Judas' daughter-in-law. And when Judas' son, the husband of this woman died, there was culturally the, the second born or the middle son happened to be uh, the one to take charge of that family and to keep that lineage going on. So he was supposed to inherit this wife and bear children with her, but he intentionally decided not to do that. And God struck him and he died. And it just happened that things went bad and this woman went out as a window. And she was supposed to wait for the last son who was just growing in that family so that he may inherit her. But that did not happen. But when Judah's wife died, Judah is out in the, in the streets and he meets this woman. She had kind of pretended to be a shrine prostitute. And he has sexual encounter with her. And that is how Perez and Zerah, the twins, were born. It is, it is amazing that Perez who is an ancestor of Christ, happens to be a son of Judah, and at the same time, Judah happens to be his grandfather. It's a messed up family. But that's the family of the Messiah. Then there is Miss Rahab, and she is the prostitute. She is branded the prostitute. The Bible calls her that. Maybe she would be a striper today. She's a Canaanite, and we know the Canaanites, they are, uh, Canaan is the son, is the grandson of Noah. And he is cursed because his father saw the nakedness of Noah, the grand, grandfather. So that line is cursed. But then she is chosen by God, and she identifies the spies. James talks about this woman, and when you look at Hebrews 11, she is part of the great all of faith. It's amazing. And God uses her and brings her up. No wonder Jesus tells the unbelieving priests in Matthew chapter 21 that tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before them. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In fact, they were busy with censors. Think of the mess in our oppressive history in our society, in our politics. I, I remember this gentleman that I went to school with. Uh, we were in seminary together, and I, I thought this guy was not good. Uh, and for some reason, I didn't like him, because he was very good in bringing people down, according to me. And one time I remember telling him, you know what? If it happens that I meet you in, in heaven, if we, we come close to each other in heaven, 
if it happens so, then I will come back on earth running. Or rather, I will think that that is not heaven. That is not, because I can't imagine seeing, having you in heaven. And that's how I branded this guy, is a guy who can never go to heaven. And that's, that's Tama, maybe, maybe that's Raha. Those are the kind of people, and that's how we see them. Then there is Miss Boaz, who is Ruth. She's a Moabite, a stranger at the commonwealth of Israel. She's, she's a Moabite, and we know Moabites and Ammonites. These are people who are born from Lot and his daughters. It's, it's out of incest. But God has a plan through this kind of a messed family. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 23 says that Ammonites and Moabites should not enter the assembly of God all the way up to the 10th generation. It's a cursed family. But that's not how God works. God doesn't work that way. He works in a different way. Now, coming to the close, I, I, I just want to thank God that notice Ruth and Rahab. There's also Uriah's wife. And we know the story about Uriah's wife. Um, uh, she, she's inherited by, I mean, she's obtained by David after Uriah is murdered. And the story is not good. The first son dies. The second son happens to be Solomon. And he's now the man that God is using. I wonder, God, wait a minute. What kind of a people are you including in this, in this family line of Messiah? They're not really good people. God is able to use the mess of life to accomplish his purposes. He's able to do that. What a triumph of grace that Messiah brings. Matthew is introducing us to the friend of sinners, the liberator of women, the source of agency for children, the host of immigrants, the one who entertains social misfits. Yes, the husband to widows, transformer of cultures, redeemer of lives and souls, regardless of the mess, he is the guy. He is at home with messed families, with messed cultures, and with messed society. That's why he came. Matthew knows it better because he was a publican, he was a tax collector. God's purposes involve people who we would not choose or we will never include. May the Lord help us. Those who are in Christ Jesus, they are new creation. The old is gone. The old is gone. There is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. How dare brand impure what God has made pure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.